the left has declared it will no longer act with civility as if it ever acted with civility in the first place or had even the slightest idea what civility means. Meanwhile, the president is telling Jimmy Fallon to act like a man. A dirty Virginia restaurant kicks out press secretary Sarah Sanders and a muscular national policy is paying dividends from our southern border all the way to Iran. We will analyze the key to civility, acting like a man. Speaking of manning up, a World Cup update from Daily Wire 2 sports correspondent Jeremy the God King Boring. Finally, feminism ruins the Incredibles and everything else. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Plus, we also have big news. I have to announce this. This is going to be huge. If I know the internet, people are going to like this. In a special live stream, this coming Monday, July 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern, we will be joined by special guest Jordan Peterson to celebrate Independence Day. God King Jeremy Boring will host a new edition of Daily Wire Backstage with me, Ben Shapiro, Andrew Clavin to look back on our country's birth and look ahead to its future. Subscribers will even be able to write in live questions for us to answer on the air. Again, that's this Monday, July 2nd, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific with special guest Jordan Peterson. You can find our special live stream on Facebook and YouTube, so don't miss it. I can't wait. When we bring Jordan on, I'm going to do that thing that that lady interviewer did to him. You know, he'll say like, oh yeah, I, you know, liberty is really nice in the Declaration of Independence. And I'll say, so you hate women. So you, so you're saying you hate women, Jordan. Is that right? No, no. What about my expression? Do you think uh, made me think about that? Eh? And I'll say, well, it's just you, cause you hate women, Jordan. Don't you say it? Say it, Jordan. That's what we're going to do. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, we got to bring on Daily Wire 2 correspondence soon. Before we do that, we got to make a little money, honey, because now we don't only have to keep this network on the air, the Daily Wire. We got to keep out Daily Wire 2 so that we can keep getting updates about the World Cup. And I want to thank a wonderful sponsor, Skillshare. Skillshare is so good. Uh, I, I hope you're already using it. If you're not, you're foolish not to. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business design technology and more. I have to keep checking the read on that because every time I look, they have more classes that they keep adding. They're constantly adding new stuff. Uh, you can take classes in social media marketing, illustration, data science, mobile photography, creative writing, you name it, they've got it. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Take it from me, folks. I've had a lot of weird jobs in my life working in politics and show business. I've always had a million side hustles, and I, I've always found I just throw spaghetti at the wall, and then one of those pieces of spaghetti ends up being a blank book and makes me a lot of money and allows me to get married to sweet little Elisa. You really, it's really important to diversify your skill set. I'm not saying that you also can learn how to not write a book, but you can at least learn a little bit about social media marketing. I have a lot of friends who are making a lot of money doing that on the side. That is always changing. I really like uh, staying up to date by uh, looking into what Skillshare has to offer on that. Definitely uh, check it out. So uh, join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners, not for nobody else, just my guys. Two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's less than a buck. Uh, Skillshare is offering the Michael Knowles Show listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. You would be foolish not to do it. I hope you're doing it already. Seriously, it will make your life better if you know more things and you can uh, 
explore your own hobbies and also make a little money too. Sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Skillshare.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L to start your two months now. Skillshare.com, what did I say? Slash Michael. So today, we're, there's this big debate going on right now between civility. Some people are saying, we're not going to be civil anymore. We, what is civility? Republicans, you're not civil. Democrats, you're not civil. And you're not nice. And you're, civility and nice things are totally different. And one aspect that they're missing about civility is manliness. Manliness. And what better way to start off a conversation about manliness than to get an update on the World Cup you know, the manliest game of all. So we turn now to our sister network, Daily Wire 2, and uh, chief soccer sports correspondent, Jeremy the God King Boring. Jeremy. Bada boom. Thank you, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. It's good to be with you after what sports commentators all over the world are calling the most intense weekend of sweaty athletic men not scoring since Thermopylae. (laughs) Yes, I am talking about the FEMA World Cup. For our American viewers, that's the once every four years global sporting event that doesn't involve curling or figure skating or bombing Iraq. In the most shocking match of the weekend, Uruguay, with a GDP literally lower than Bill Gates, defeated recent global superpower Russia by a staggering three points those being the only three points scored in the match. Actor Tom Arnold responded to the match by promising to deliver never-before-seen video of U.S. President Donald Trump covered in urine, praising Russia on its near win and reminding his constituents that America isn't much better than so- at soccer if you really think about it. Uruguay's coach responded to the alleged video by dying mysteriously of polonium poisoning. <laughs> in the all-important Group F, this weekend saw Mexico, J- GDP $1.04 trillion, edge out South Korea, GDP $1.4 trillion, 2-1. While Germany, GDP $3.4 trillion, defeated Sweden $511 billion by the same score. You know what that means for Group F, right, Michael? Uh, uh, what does that right? mean, Jeremy? Uh, why would anyone know the answer to that, Michael? <laughs> I was hoping you knew. <laughs> of course, the most anticipated match of the day today is between one of the most gay-friendly countries in Europe, Portugal, GDP 200 billion, and nuclear wannabes and throwers of gays off of cranes, Iran, (laughs) GDP 393 billion, a quarter of which was a gift from John Kerry. Iran has promised that their football program is only intended for peaceful purposes, and that the fact that it fits neatly on the head of one of their enormous intercontinental ballistic missiles is strictly coincidental, and also a lie told by the great Satan, who they hope dies, but whom they mean no personal harm, as they are a peaceful nation. The beautiful sport. The beautiful sport indeed. But of course, soccer isn't really, Michael, about who wins and who loses. It's really about women thinking men with accents and zero body fat and stripy shorts are cute, and everyone else rebuking America, capitalism, Western hegemony, masculinity, adulthood, and Jesus. You know, Ser- seriously, <laughs> Jesus never watched a single World Cup. You can look it up. That's in the Bible. In That's the Bible. just the Bible. Evidence of this can be seen in much of the reporting on the World Cup. Medium.com put out a list of 10 reasons you should watch the World Cup. Reason number one, Team USA isn't in it. Take that, America. Reason number three, it's a great medicine against American Mm -hmm. arrogance. Mm -hmm. And AL.com, in their five reasons you should be watching the World Cup, said it's a true World Cup, you guys. Four billion people cannot be wrong. Fortunately for our audience at home, We here at Daily Wire 2 did an in-depth investigation into the question of whether or not 4 billion people can be wrong and discovered this shocking 
information. This is a map of all of the nations in the world that love soccer. And this is a map of all of the nations in the world that have landed a man on the moon and returned him safely back to Earth. That's right, losers. It's America one, everybody else zero. A score soccer lovers the world over should be able to get their heads around. Michael, bada boom! Back what? to you. Jeremy, that is some incredible uh, in-depth research that you have done. I did have a question about mm. the Iranian soccer game. So it, it, do we have any information on whether all of the sanctions against Iran, the international sanctions, have prohibited Ford and Chrysler minivans from pulling up to the stadium <laughs> there and picking up the children uh, from the game? You know, interestingly enough, Michael, uh, soccer moms in Iran actually are well-equipped. Uh, and in other good international news, uh, soccer moms in Saudi Arabia are now actually <laughs> legally allowed to drive to the field to pick up those adorable six-year-olds as they learn basic motor skills. That, that is really wonderful. I'm so glad that those World Cup players will now be able to get their juice boxes in some of those countries where heretofore the soccer moms couldn't drive. Jeremy, the God King Boring, what an incredible recap. We, I look forward to hearing more. Uh, when are you going to be watching more of the games? Watching? Bada boom! <laughs> Jeremy, the God King Boring, everybody. Really important update. Really, really... Uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to make it through that with a straight face. Years and years of conservatory training. Not a chance. Absolutely not. Really good stuff. I got to tell you, the World Cup was kind of bothering me, you know, because I don't, it, I, I went to my favorite bagel place in LA this weekend. My one refuge, I thought, from the kind of LA PC hippy dippy stuff. I go to buy a bagel and what do I see? Two giant TVs with the World Cup on. A big sign that says, the, the, the place to watch the World Cup, your bagel place. And I think, okay. But uh, watching those updates, I think I'm really starting to change my opinion. I'm getting a real kick out of this World Cup. <laughs> okay, so moving on from, uh, you know, the, the manliest sport, the beautiful game of soccer. Let's start talking about manliness here. Because uh, manliness is, is the question of this, you know, uh, Donald Trump saying, act like a man, Jimmy Kimmel. And then people saying, you're not being civil. You're not, what is this? What is, okay. It's manliness and womanliness are, are misunderstood across the political spectrum. And it's playing out in our politics. You're seeing it in politics. You're seeing it on TV. You're seeing it in movies. We're going to, we're going to get to the Incredibles by the end, but feminism totally destroyed Incredibles too. And it's really sad this misunderstanding of what, of what manliness is. Over the weekend, we'll, we'll begin with Donald Trump and Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, and then we'll be able to move into, I think, uh, Maxine Waters and Sarah Sanders getting kicked out of that restaurant and why that cartoon wasn't any good. Over the weekend, here's where it began. Donald Trump gave Jimmy Fallon uh, important advice. Here's the exchange. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? Is this how you turn down a Hollywood Pinocchio that uh, cries like a woman? <laughs> what can I do? What can I do? What is that, man? Do we know if Donald Trump is part Italian? He looked, he looked very Italian in that photo. Uh, that, no, it was actually, apparently that was a recreation. That was uh, Marlon Brando and uh, was it Al Martino who played Johnny Fontaine? Somebody, yeah, really, I think they really captured the essence there though of, uh, of President Trump and Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon has been complaining 
uh, for a little while over how mean the left was to him after he did that interview. You remember he did an interview with Donald Trump on his show during the campaign and he kind of rubbed his hair. He said, I've got a question for you. Is your hair real? And he says, touch the hair. And he goes, rubs it. Oh, the hair is real, right? Just classic uh, Jimmy Fallon show. You know, Jimmy Fallon is the nice guy. Stephen Colbert, he's the left wing political guy. And Jimmy Kimmel, he's the every man, your average Joe, but he's a left winger too, right? And Jimmy Fallon's shtick is that he's the nice guy and everybody likes him and he's not going to ask you about abortion. He's just going to play games with you. On his show, you know, he started playing board games with his guests and things like that. Uh, Don Rickles was asked if he'd ever been on the Jimmy Fallon show. He said, no, he has to learn how to play Jenga first. You know, I mean, that's, that's the tenor of Jimmy Fallon's show. So he has Trump on and plays with his hair. And then by the way, he had Hillary Clinton on the next week and he played stupid games with her too. And it's just, oh, nice, nice, nice. And he got eviscerated for this by the left, not the right that was attacking him. It was the left. They said, you're normalizing Trump as though the nominee of the Republican party isn't, hasn't been normalized as though the guy that we've all known for 40 years in the pop culture, he hasn't been normalized until Jimmy Fallon scratches him on the scalp. Then all of a sudden he's a real threat. So they they were so mean to him and it kind of broke the guy. Uh, This is going to play an important role a little later in the discussion between the difference between civility and niceness because Jimmy Fallon, man, he's just a nice guy. Here is Jimmy Fallon Uh, just crying, basically, really upset and complaining about what the left did to him after he talked to Trump on the show. I'm just doing five hours a week, man. I'm like working, I get in at, you know, 10 in the morning. I work till seven at night. I'm just trying to make a funny show. You know the grind. So, you know, and you know me, I I should have been worried when we were number one and whatever. So I I never cared about that. I never will. I just want to make sure we have the best show possible. Yeah. But it was definitely a a downtime. And it's tough for morale for, you know, people, it's 300 people that work here. And so people are talking that bad about you and ganging up on you and really gang mentality. Oh, it was insane. It was a people you wouldn't expect. And, and you're a sensitive guy. You go, what? You go, all right, we get it. I heard you. Right. You made me feel bad. So now what? You happy? You, I'm depressed. You want to push me more? Or what do you want me to do? I know. What are you, I mean, you I want me to kill you- myself? What, what would make you happy? Get over it. You've said your only regret about it really is that you didn't speak to quell the issue sooner. Is that right? Yeah, I probably should have just talked and just done interviews immediately after. You're like, I don't, dude, I don't believe in. Well, you don't do a lot of interviews, period. Any pol- politicians. I don't, but yeah. it's like, I, I host a talk show every night. Right. Why right. would I be right. on a show? Right. The fact that you're having me on, it's like, dude, I <laughs> no, hope, well, hopefully I'm, people I'm, tune I'm, in. No, but it's like, come on. That's but I, I go, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to make anyone angry. And that's it. They're all, he says pretty, I actually sort of feel bad for the guy because he, he didn't sign up for this. He's actually trying to keep his late night show nonpartisan, but he said, they all ganged up on me. And the left loves ganging up these days. They gang, they, first of all, they're defending MS 13. (laughs) They're defending one of the worst gangs in the world, violent gangs. Uh, Then they get, you know, Maxine Waters is saying gang up on it. When you see someone gang up that, that woman uh, who owns the, the restaurant, the red hen, in Lexington, Virginia, said, gang up on Sarah Sanders, go gang up on her. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, he, he's seeing that, oh, they're all, they ganged up on me. And that's what the left does. They do gang up, but that's just the way it is. So of course, President Trump responds here in his very Trumpian way. He says, uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon is now whimpering that all he had, uh, that uh, he did the famous hair show with me where he seriously messed up my hair and that he would have now done it differently because it is said to have humanized me. He's taking heat. He called and said, monster ratings. Be a man, Jimmy. 
be a man, Jimmy. So of course it is kind of funny, you know, as he says, he messed up my hair, be a man, right? And that, that is a kind of funny uh, <laughs> juxtaposition. But that last advice in there, be a man, Jimmy, is, is really important. It's something totally lacking in the culture right now. And the question is, what is a man? What is a man? Because the right gets this wrong sometimes too. You, uh, it is true that the left is all these soy boys, as, as they are called. But uh, the, the, the right sometimes has this obsession in dark corners of the internet with alpha males and beta males and blah, blah. And oh, I'm a knuckle dragger, blah, blah, right? But that isn't manliness either. You find manliness in the virtues. Vir, that's where the word virtue comes from. It's from vir, V-I-R, which is, which is man in Latin. Virtue. There is a virtue in acting like a man. Harvey Mansfield wrote that good book on it, Manliness. And he says that, you know, manliness has a sort of brutal force to it, but it also has a refinement and a politeness. So he gives the example, sometimes it's manly to hold the door for a woman and allow her to enter before you go in. And then sometimes it's manly to push her out of the way and say, get out of my way. I've got to stop the bad guy, right? Both of those things are manly and they seem, they seem different, but they're part and parcel. Manliness is not nice. Jimmy Fallon is nice. That's why Donald Trump tells him he's got to act like a man. Manliness is not nice. Niceness is a pleasantness. To be nice is like, oh, the, oh he's, he's such a nice guy. He's pleasant. He's agreeable. Uh, being nice is being agreeable. You know, uh, Alan Bloom, who wrote The Closing of the American Mind, in the 1980s, he indicted uh, a bu- all of the American students that he knew by saying that they were nice. The nicest thing, you, the best thing you could say about these students is that they were nice. And what he meant is they're shallow. They don't stand for anything. They don't have any core beliefs. They're uncultured. They're uneducated. They're not, they're just that, they're just nice. And you know, manliness is not nice. It just isn't nice. To be agreeable, go along, to get along, be timid, be a pushover. That is not the same as being manly. And Donald Trump is not nice. Our government right now is not nice. It isn't doing nice things. That doesn't mean it's uncivil. You know, manliness right now is paying dividends for our government. And we're seeing it every day, more and more each, each day we see this. Uh, manliness right now, an unnice government is res- actually restoring civil government. It's restoring civility to our government. Just look on foreign policy. It came out today that the Iranian foreign minister, Javad Zarif, is saying that uh, ripping up the Iran nuclear deal could topple the Iranian regime. Now, you've probably heard the name Javad uh, Zarif before. He is uh, John Kerry's boyfriend. He was the guy, you know, like late at night on Saturday nights, John Kerry picks up the phone. Once Teresa's gone to bed, he's, hello, Javi, Javi, are you there? Javi, I'm just, oh, I miss you, Javi. I miss you. I'm thinking, oh, I miss you too, yeah. I, I just, I've been thinking about you a lot. Uh, you don't call anymore, Javi. <laughs> right, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm half exaggerating here, but he actually does still call this guy, <laughs> which is a whole separate issue that uh, the former Secretary of State is undercutting U.S. Uh, foreign policy here by dealing directly with the foreign minister of Iran. And when that foreign minister is saying the, the current U.S. policy that Donald Trump is pursuing, the aggressive, muscular, masculine foreign policy is possibly going to topple our regime. And we're, there's a lot of evidence that isn't just bluff from the foreign minister. The Iranian rial, the Iranian currency, has just plunged to a record low against the U.S. dollar. 
There's a major Indian energy company. It just uh, cut its Iranian oil imports by half. Uh, Russia's second biggest oil producer has, was going to start building projects in Iran. It has halted all development there. So there are actually real serious uh, warning signs here. And by the way, all of the people who are these big Trump critics, I think of some of the neoconservative types at some of the magazines, you know, they're, they, they're the ones pushing for regime change in Iran. But they weren't able to affect it. The Obama administration wasn't able to affect it. Obviously, the Bush administration didn't pursue regime change in Iran. It looks like Donald Trump is actually the one who's going to do it. There are protests pouring out into the streets right now. We were told, oh, no, if you rip up the Iranian nuclear deal, you're going to embolden the regime in Iran. It's, they're going to be emboldened by this was keeping them at bay. Well, no, that isn't what's happening. A little muscle goes a long way. Donald Trump took out that ad in the New York Times in uh, 1988, I think it was, at the end of the Reagan era. And he said, there's nothing about U.S. uh, national policy that a little backbone can't cure. We're actually seeing that play out. And it isn't nice, but it is helpful. That strong foreign policy has gotten North Korea to the table, right? Gotten that crazy dictator with nuclear weapons to come to the table and possibly we can come to some sort of nuclear arrangement. Who knows? We're in, again, we're in inning one or two of that, but it got them to the table. Previous administrations were not able to do that. How about on domestic policy? That's the, that's the least and nice, isn't it? That's the area where uh, Donald Trump, you know, is ripping babies from their mother's arms. Never mind that all the pictures that we've been shown aren't actually separated children. Never mind that they can't point to examples of that. Never mind that Barack Obama did the same thing actually on a much larger and worse scale. Never mind any of that. They're saying it's so not nice. It's mean. It's inhuman. Tom Arnold was in this room yelling at me and saying it's not human. It's, it's, it's not nice. It's mean. It's blah, blah, blah. So we cut to a poll right now from CBS, mainstream media. About half of Americans say that we need to send illegal families back. 48% of Americans. We catch them at the border, we have to send them back. That is, this is a recent poll. That's despite the mainstream media spending 176 minutes during six days covering the poor little children in this very emotional coverage. Uh, Mainstream media spent six and a half minutes covering Barack Obama when he did exactly the same thing on a larger scale. That that means that, I'm I'm no math expert, that means that the mainstream media spent Uh, 27 times more coverage on Donald Trump, all of these emotional segments. Nevertheless, about half of Americans say send them back because that's what we want. It is, maybe that's not nice. Maybe it would be more agreeable if we just rolled over and were pleasant. It's, oh, come into the country. Anyone who wants to come in, come on in. Oh, you want to bring drugs? Let's bring it. That's okay. I'm not going to stop you because I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy, so why would I stop? Oh, that's, oh, you want to traffic in human uh, little babies and you want to have little kids come over and force them to work on farms? Oh, that's okay. I'm not going to stop you. I'm really agreeable. Oh, that's, you want to sexually assault women at the border at a rate of 60 to 80%? Well, I'm not going to stop you because I'm such a nice guy. No, this is not a nice policy. This is a civil policy. This is a manly policy. This is a law and order policy, but uh, that's what we need. That's what we need right now. And America agrees with that. Do you know that right now, half of Americans say that we need to build the wall? Half of Americans. That that number would have been unthinkable even two or three years ago. But we are now seeing when the rubber meets the road and you get rid of all of the sort of pleasantries and the shallow niceness, what the issue is, where the conflict really lies. And Americans want to protect their border because we're a nation of laws. We're not a nation of men. That's not what we're supposed to be. Uh, You know, that it isn't nice, but President Trump has put the mainstream media in their place. This is the distinction. Manliness is not nice, but it is civil. Civil, it it means uh, relating to citizens. 
It comes from the Latin words, civilis or civilis, which is, uh, you, you know, relating to the city, relating to people who live within the city. Uh, I noticed this distinction. A, a left-wing reporter emailed me before this and asked me uh, if it's not hypocritical that Republicans now are saying people need to be civil, even though in the past, Newt Gingrich used to say, you know, they should be, uh, re- Republicans are too nice, right? So isn't that hypocritical? No. The right is not nice, but it is civil. The left is not civil, but it is nice. Look at the Sarah Sanders situation. So Press Secretary Sarah Sanders was kicked out of a restaurant in Lexington, Virginia called Red Hen. I mentioned the restaurant so that you never, ever go there. <laughs> you should, obviously, right? I mean, that's, they, she kicked her out. The owner there was Stephanie Wilkinson. And here's how the event went down, because I don't know if this part's totally been covered. So Sarah Sanders goes in with some friends, sits down at a table, they start eating. The staff at this restaurant calls up the owner, Stephanie Wilkinson, calls her up at home and says, the press secretary is here. What should we do? And Sarah, Stephanie Wilkinson said, I'm going to come down there and kick her out. So she goes down and she, she marches up to Sarah Sanders and she says, you need to leave. I don't want to serve you at my establishment, so I want you to leave. And what does Sarah Sanders do? She leaves. Uh, for reaction, we cut now. Uh, Andrew Garfield, what do you think about that? We are all sacred and we all belong. So let's just bake a cake for everyone who wants a cake to be baked. Oh, that's, that's sort of surprising from the left. There's a, so she should have just served Sarah Sanders, I guess, right? Did Sarah Sanders order cake? I don't know if she ordered cake. Maybe if she ordered cake or flowers, then the left would demand that Sarah Sanders be served. But uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was roasted chicken or something. So, but look at that. That's the, I mean, it, it is really incredible that on the left right now, they say, we need to serve everybody. How dare you kick someone out just because you don't want to participate in his gay marriage ceremony. Don't, how dare, that's wrong, that's terrible, but if you don't, if I don't like somebody, I'm not going to serve them. A- is Andrew being civil here? No. When he says, bake a cake for everybody, no, that's just nice. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we just baked cakes for everybody? But it's not civil because it actually undercuts how citizens relate to each other in a free republic. By the way, the Sarah Sanders story doesn't end there. According to Mike Huckabee, the owner of the Red Hen, nobody's really talked about this yet, uh, followed the rest of the people across the street. So Sarah Sanders and her husband go home. The rest of their dinner party goes across the street. She follows them across the street, calls up other people, organizes a protest to yell and scream at them from outside the other restaurant and create this scene. Definitely not civil. Civility is not nice. It's not glib. It's not charming. It's not weak. It's not timid. It's not, it's not all those things that we think it is. Civility means you can say hard things. Nice, nice people can't say hard things. Civil people can say hard things. It's just a a formal manner of behavior. It's to say, be an adult, act like a man. Don't be like a little boy. Little children yell and scream and they do. And that's why we don't let little children govern us. The left wants to lower the voting age at this point, I think to like seven. Uh, But why'd I check my watch for that? Uh, But you know, they want to lower, but when you, you have to grow up and behave as though you're worthy of the freedom that we have in a republic, as though you're worthy to be a citizen. Unfortunately, we don't have that. To, to just put, put a little button on it, let's turn to the emblem of the left these days, crazy old Maxine Waters. We want it done now. We're going to insist on it. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. You have members of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Who sang no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. 
And guess what? We're going to win this battle because while you try and quote the Bible, Jeff Sessions and others, you really don't know the Bible. God is on our side. On the side of the children. On the side of what's right. On the side of what's honorable. On the side of understanding that if we can't protect the children, we can't protect anybody. And so, let's stay the course. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. We have to protect the children. We have to protect, if you can't protect the children, you can't do anything unless you want to kill them in the womb and then you then do that. But, and definitely do that. Don't protect the children. But, but, and, but that, and that's actually, that makes you a good person. But otherwise you have to protect the children. So of course, of course, uh, I don't even know if she understands this. I don't know if Maxine Waters understands very much, but this is not going to turn out well. What she is proposing is mob violence. That's what she's asking for. She says, when you see somebody that you disagree with and you don't like, you surround them, you physically intimidate them, you scream at them, you go to their place of residence and you keep them awake at night and you don't let them sleep and you drive them crazy so that bad things happen to them, to their body, to their lives, to their families. Go and she's saying, go to their house. She's saying, uh, terrorize their families. That's what that means. Go keep them. Because by the way, if you, if you have a screaming mob outside someone's house, it doesn't just mean that they stay awake and their kids sleep soundly at night. That's not how that works. The kid, it's just terrorize people that you disagree with. This is, this is civility uh, from Maxine Waters, right? And, and of course, listen to how she says it. She goes, they don't know the Bible. Reverend Maxine, Father Maxine, Bishop Maxine is telling us about the Bible, right? They don't know that, but we know God's on our side. It's on our side, right? Uh, uh, the irony of this, of course, is a total misunderstanding of what civil society is, what government is. Because guess what? Maxine, Maxine can criticize her opponents of things. She might not understand what she's criticizing for exactly. And we can criticize Maxine for things. And then if, if our solution to that is to terrorize one another, then we don't have a government. We don't have a country. We don't have a society anymore. You can't communicate. If what she, what they are saying, what the left is saying, Maxine Waters is their mouthpiece saying, stop communicating, stop trying to get along and live together. Stop trying to deal seriously with issues, but in a, in a formal manner of politeness that allows us all to live in relative peace and harmony. She's saying, forget all that, burn it all to the ground. That's, that's what they want. You know, uh, how, how does one respond to this? Well, the right should still be civil. The right should still be manly, you know, I mean, because that, those two things, civility and manliness, it says everything about the person who's doing it. It doesn't say anything about the opponent. They're all kind of crazy Maxine Waters running around. And that doesn't mean that we should get in the muck and start terrorizing her, does it? No, we should, we should say hard things. We should, we, we don't have to be nice about it, but you don't want to get just, you don't want to start keeping Maxine Waters' family up at night, right? Maxine, she's always been like this, by the way. She loves violence. During the LA riots in the early nineties, she loved it. She said, oh, this is what a wonderful thing. How great. Oh, this is such a pivotal moment. We're burning down all of LA. That's great. Isn't that wonderful? You know, the, the sort of stuff that she's advocating, we're seeing it all over the place already. In uh, Florida, the attorney general, Pam Bondi, uh, just came out. She said three huge guys 
came up, were screaming at her, cursing at her one inch from her face. Then one guy spit on her head. That's the world that Maxine Waters wants. That's what she wants. But it's okay because Donald Trump said a naughty word 10 years ago. That's okay because Donald Trump is enforcing immigration law. Immigration law that Barack Obama also partially enforced. Immigration law that was passed 10 years ago, more than that. Uh, and and uh, parts of which were decided 20 years ago. Uh, Keith Ellison, deputy chairman of the, of the Democrat Party, is now saying he's posing in photos with people who say the U.S. has stolen land. That's, that's what they're saying. They're undercutting the fabric of the United States itself. And uh, maybe the left is going to tune into my show. If you know anybody on the left, tell them to tune in right now. Because they don't, because I'm going to give important advice. They, they don't know what civil means. They don't know what civility is. You know, they don't understand these semantic distinctions. I did that Prager video on why words matter, on how these semantic distinctions actually matter a lot. We don't teach civics in school. And so it's no surprise that these people uh, don't know what it means. Civics requires good faith. It requires you to be an adult. It requires virtue. It requires the virtues. Uh, all, all of our founding fathers talked about this. They said, you know, this, this free republic is only fit for a moral and a religious people, for an upright people, for a people who educates itself, for a people who works hard, for people who isn't vicious, who don't have, who don't have all the vices, who, are, you know, who possess virtues. And this isn't virtuous. This isn't manly. This isn't grown up. This isn't adult. They're acting like little children. They're uneducated, uncultured. They just scream naughty words and they spout moral idiocy. It, they're behaving like little children. But you got to, people, you got, if you're going to try to preserve the country, you got to act like a man. You got to do what uh, real Donald Trump said to Jimmy Fallon. Don't act like a little boy. Don't act like a little kid. You got to grow up. Now, speaking of children, we're going to talk about uh, this kid's movie, which uh, which gender politics and not being a man and all that sort of stuff has also destroyed. Before we get to it, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. I'm sorry. And I got so much to talk about on The Incredibles. I'm catching a little, a lot of heat and a lot of praise for my review. It's a little polarizing, but I'll explain to you why I'm completely right. Uh, if you're on Facebook and YouTube, go to dailywire.com. If you're already there, thank you for being a subscriber. You help us keep the lights on. You keep Kofefe in my cup. Uh, you, what do you get? You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin show, you get the Ben Shapiro show. It's 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get to ask questions in the mailbag. That's pretty good. Uh, and make sure you get your questions in for this week. None of that matters. This is what matters. 50% of Americans want to build the wall. Mm, that's good. Uh, almost 50% of Americans want to turn even whole illegal families away when they get to the border. Just turn them all away. Don't, and just because that's the law and we have to be a nation of laws and let people who have been waiting in line come in first and we can't just give amnesty to criminals. Mm. The majority of Americans uh, approve of Donald Trump's handling of the economy including 30% of even Democrats. Mm, I can't take anymore. Go to dailywire.com. Get your own leftist ears tumbler. You need it. You, I mean, I can't, I'm going to, it's already full again. I just drank the whole, the whole, uh, container and it's already full back up. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back to talk about the Incredibles. Feminism ruins everything. This is where we get, you know, I was talking before about manliness as a kind of the difference between being a little child and being a grown man. Now I'm going to talk about manliness as the opposite of feminism. There's a subtle distinction here because feminism ruins everything. It ruins everything. It even managed to ruin the Incredibles. I have kind of a fresh face on this. 
you know I don't like superhero movies. I don't ever see little kids movies. I just don't go to them. I only want to see like foreign films in like Lichtensteinian with subtitles that I can wear a beret to and smoke cigarettes during in the theater. I, you know, I really like those kind of more pretentious movies. But, <laughs> but this one, uh, Sweet Little Elisa, Saint Little Elisa, Saint Little Michael, Mrs. Knowles, uh, she wanted to go see Incredibles 2. And so I said, all right, I'll go see Incredibles 2, but I've never seen Incredibles 1. So I, I actually think I have a pretty good perspective on this because I watched the two movies back to back. I watched just, I went straight from Incredibles, the original, into, and headed to the movie theater and saw the sequel. The first movie is one of the best movies of the last 20 years. If you haven't seen it, go out and see it. It is so good. And the reason why it's so good, it's, it's about superheroes, I guess, but it's really not about superheroes. I mean, it is, it is, it's good in that genre, but it's so much more than that. And when movies are so much more than those genres, I, I f- tend to like them. Like uh, Logan, the movie Logan is, it, I guess it's a superhero movie, but it's so much more than that. So I really liked that movie. Or The Dark Knight even is a superhero movie. And it, and it is more than just a superhero movie. It does have some, some weight to it. So I, I go into this with The Incredibles. And The Incredibles is about this family led by Mr. Incredible. He's the husband. And there's Elastigirl as the wife and uh, three kids. But it's a movie about something. It's a movie about a midlife crisis. All of the other superhero movies are just basically popcorn movies where they all follow the exact same formula. There aren't even spoilers that you can give to them because we all know exactly how those movies play out. This movie isn't like that. It's a movie about a midlife crisis. It's a movie about a guy whose glory days were in the past when he was a superhero fighting of, you know, bad guys on his own. He makes a point all the time. He says, I work alone. I work alone. They're telling you something. It's because he's single, because he's a bachelor, because he doesn't have kids and a job and a car and this, and he's just got all of his adventures there. And then he trades all of that in for a wife, a stay-at-home wife, and three kids and a car and a desk job in the suburbs. He trades all that in and he's kind of miserable about it, you know, and he's, there's some drudgery to it. So what does he start doing? He starts doing things that guys going through a midlife crisis too. He starts lying to his wife. He starts staying out a little late with his friend and just try to try to relive the, the good old days. And his friend is like, what are we doing, man? Come on, right? He buys a sports car and he starts going on these clandestine rendezvous with a beautiful young woman, all without telling his wife. And when, when his selfishness, when his recklessness finally gets him into trouble, what happens It's his wife who comes and tries to find him because she's jealous. She's nervous. She, you know, his selfishness is about to ruin his family. And she catches him in the arms of another woman. Now, of course, they're, because it's a kid's movie, they, they work around this in certain ways. But that's the basic structure of it. Even, this movie is so good. Even the bad guy is, his name is Syndrome. And it's a pun. It's a pun on sin. Because this, it's a movie about his own, uh, Mr. Incredible's own original sin of pride, his own selfish pride. The bad guy in that movie, if you haven't seen it, I don't care about spoilers because this came out 14 years ago. Uh, the, the bad guy was his biggest fan as a little kid. He called himself Incrediboy and, you know, he really liked him. He's just, he's a manifestation of Mr. Incredible's own selfish ego. It's that syndrome, right? S-S-Y-N or maybe S-I-N. And, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the syndrome character, he is just a mere mortal, but he wants to be like a superhero, which is to say, make himself like a god. So he creates all this technology to try to do it, right? And the only way that things come right in the end is when Mr. Incredible realizes that looking to the past and his, his old glory days as a bachelor, is looking to them as the good old days, 
It, that's totally backwards. He says to his kids, he says, and he says to his wife, you're my greatest adventure. My greatest adventure lies ahead of me because I'm moving forward in my life. I'm not stuck in the past, you know, and needing to drive a sports car to try to pick up chicks. You're, and, and so they come together as a family and then they defeat the bad guy. And as if this weren't clear enough, the, the, these two old characters at the end, Frank and Ollie, one says, he goes, he goes, oh, that's old school. They did it the old school way. And the other guy says, there's no school like the old school, right? That's the, like, oh yes, he did the traditional thing. And that worked. That saved the day. Even, you know, the way they beat the bad guys, they do things that families do. They argue over a remote. They, the father throws a, a pass, like a football pass to his son. Right? It's so beautiful. It's a really good movie. I mention that because this new movie is so much worse. It's so bad. It's like the second movie is an apology for the first movie. The second movie begins. There will be some spoilers later. Not quite yet. The second movie begins exactly where the first movie left off. So it's not like there's a huge time delay here. And then it basically just undoes the first movie. Everything in the first movie, it just says, no, never mind. I'm, I'm sorry. We shouldn't have said that. So p- something you probably have already heard probably from the trailer is that this movie is uh, much more focused on the wife, on Elastigirl. So here come some spoilers. She's got all the action sequences. She's going to, you know, she's going to go, she's going to do the job. She's going to fight the bad guys. And her, her husband is going to be stuck at home with the kids, which he obviously screws up because what an idiot husbands are, right? I mean, wives are just so much more competent than their husbands. Like, can he even, can he even work a microwave? Ha ha ha. Right. And look, this is the oldest joke in, in, in cheap humor, right? This is every sitcom, every TV commercial for the past 30 years has been about how the wife does everything great. She's perfect. She's the genius. She's brilliant. She's totally competent. And the husband, that guy can barely put his shoes on. What a dummy. What, how does that guy, how did he make it out of like his house as a kid? I mean, so without getting hit by a bus or something Uh, that that's what they set up here. They, the, the movie can never give uh, the wife any character flaws. She has to do everything perfectly. And she did. And, and Mr. Incredible, he's just sort of tangential. But another reason, again, some more spoilers here, why this is under, it undercuts the first movie is that in the first movie, it's Mr. Incredible who looks at his old days doing all the adventures with the bad guys and stuff. And the wife says, no, you're a family man now. Get a job, live in the suburbs, raise your family, be a good guy. She doesn't want to go off and fight bad guys. She doesn't want to go off on her own and have independent adventure. And then in the second movie, which begins exactly where the first movie lets off, all of a sudden she said, never mind. No, I want to go fight bad guys on my own again. Oh no, that'll be fun. Oh, that was so fun when I fought that bad guy on my own. It's just this feminist undercutting of the whole thing. And now some people are saying, major spoiler here, so close your ears for 20 seconds if uh, you don't want to hear it that the, the villain in this movie is a, a feminist. She's like a sort of, it's an embodiment of feminism. Right. Okay. Vill- villainous things are villainous. So that's true. I mean, that, that is how uh, that plays out in movies, but uh, it doesn't make up for it. It doesn't make up for what the whole movie is saying at the end. It's just it just becomes this popcorn movie. I'm not saying that uh, Incredibles 2 is a feminist screed, you know, and it's awful and it's ruining society. It's just like meh. It's just, if I had just seen Incredibles 2 and not seen the original right beforehand, I would say, okay, well, I probably wouldn't even talk about it. I'd say, well, that was whatever. Compared to all the other stuff coming out of Hollywood, whatever. But because it's, it's an answer to the first, 
I, I just think it, it's a real missed opportunity. It took them 14 years to turn A Wonderful Life into an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. I mean, it is so, so frustrating. Uh, so let me know what you think. I know people have been tweeting me about this for two days since I put my review out. So let me know what you think. I, I'm happy to hear more about it, but I have to tell you, I'm completely right. So that's the show today. Uh, uh, tune in again tomorrow. We have some pretty crazy guests coming up. I don't want to ruin it though and tell you all about it. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.